All right, my friend, welcome back to Leave the Swamp, the Secession Podcast. Uh, Mal here, glad to have you back. So I found an article, I get a subscription to Texas Monthly, that uh, leftist uh, magazine down here in Texas, and there's an interesting article in it uh, on February 1st, and what's interesting about this is... Now that the left, the left is starting to take notice of possible ideas centered around secession, now they got to write articles to, you know, more or less condemn it, show how "quote unquote" insane it is, how it's illegal, all you know, all the standard tropes to, uh, you know, make people think they're stupid if they actually think, start to think, ah, oh, maybe that is a decent idea. But uh, let's go through this article and see what old Dan Solomon has to say. See how what kind of slant he can put on this whole idea of what we're trying to, what we're talking about here, what we can, what we're trying to achieve. Should be interesting. So the article is titled "Is the T- Texas Secession Movement Getting Serious?" Subtitle: It's unlikely Texas will depart from the union. Oh, whoa, whoa, Dan, I would not uh, be so quick. To say that, although I will just say it's hilarious how every article about this stuff always starts with, oh, is it possible? What, what are they thinking? This, that, and the other. And then like the second sentence, invariably, you'll see, is it'll say, although, even though it's not possible, or even though it's unlikely to happen, or even though it's illegal, you know, even though uh, the, the so-called civil war settled the issue, well, then they'll get into the whole issue. But anyway... Sorry for getting off track. Let me get back to the subtitle here. It's unlikely Texas will depart from the Union, but with Governor Greg Abbott spouting secessionist rhetoric over border security, talk of a, quote, Texit, quote, unquote, is getting a fresh look. I do like, however, the uh, picture they put here at the top of the article. It's a Texas, uh, Texas state line, you know, one of those green signs with the white writing on it, with a sticker called Country, or that has country on it over the state part. So it says Texas state line. It's kind of, <laughs> kind of funny. Here we go. Into the article. Secession has long tantalized Texans. Twice we've been moved to, to pursue, it, pursue it. If I could speak today. First in 1836 when we fought to win independence from Mexico. Then again in 1861 when Texas joined the other states of the Confederacy and leaving the United States. The latter move's failure seemed to settle the question of whether Texas, or any other state, held the right to secede from the Union. Whoop, there's that, there, right there's that uh, sentence I told you about, the second or third in. They always talk about, like, well, it's not possible. And here we continue. The U.S. Supreme Court case that made secession illegal, Texas v. White, from 1869, also rejected the notion that, because Texas was once an independent republic, it enjoys special privileges when it comes to secession. Actually, as an me again, Texas v. White was over something different. However, the Supreme Court in 1869 had no choice but but to rule that unilateral secession of a state was illegal. If they had ruled that it was not illegal, then that would have completely negated the perceived uh, legitimacy of. The Union, Lincoln, the North invading to conquer the South. So as if they were going to uh, rule any other way in 1869. 
Not to mention the fact that just because the Supreme Court makes a ruling does not necessarily mean that it is correct or it's a proper interpretation of any law or the Constitution. Keep that in mind. Continuing, still, the matter has never been put to bed entirely and has been attracting fresh attention amid the Lone Star State's latest clash with the federal government at the U.S.-Mexico border. State leaders have long had to answer questions about the prospects for secession, and they've tended to do so delicately. These weak-spined weak politicians, of course. When then-Governor Rick Perry was asked about the subject during a Tea Party protest of, night, of 2009, he didn't rule it out, saying, if Washington continues to thumb their noses at the American people, you know, who knows what may come out of that. Well, at least he said something. Uh, <laughs> More recently, in 2021, Senator Ted Cruz outlined the circumstances that would make him reconsider his anti-secessionist position, which are Democrats ending the Senate filibuster, pursuing D.C. statehood, adding seats to the U.S. Supreme Court, pushing for federal control over our elections, or fundamentally destroying the country, quote-unquote, whatever that may mean. I agree, whatever that may mean. I, I would argue that the federal government has already fundamentally destroyed the country. The original intent of the Constitution and what was supposed to be there, i.e. the federal republic, was destroyed in 1861. So we're way past... Way past that, uh, or 1865, I guess you could argue, when the South, which seceded through, uh, to have some semblance maintaining a federal of a federal republic, was conquered by the United States Empire. When that happened, that was put that that was put to bed. So that fundamentally destroyed the country. So it's been dead since 1861. We've been an empire since. So hey, Cruz, we're long past that guy. See, he's too much of a, you know, lily lip, you know, uh, coward to come out and say, you know what, it's actually probably a pretty good idea now because the federal government does not do anything positive for the state and actually is actively harmful to the state. Of course, he'd never come out and do that because he's just another establishment politician. So anyway, let me continue. An independent Texas is fun for a certain type of politician to dream about or pay lip service to, but not something they've moved to pursue. I would if I was in there. In recent weeks, though, secession has gone from a nod to it and ignore it issue to one with a bit more urgency. First in late December, Texas GOP chair Matt Rinaldi rejected a position from the pro-secession Texas nationalist movement that sought to, to place the question of secession on the party's March primary ballot in non-binding form. I mean, what a coward. I mean, if it's such a terrible idea... And, you know, no one will support that. Then put it on there. Let's see what happens. Vote it up or down. It's just a vote to put the question on the ballot. In a non-binding form. This Matt Rinaldi is a utter coward for that. Of course, he's bought and paid for by the gigantic moneyed special interests that make a lot more money from the federal government. And that might go away if Texas became its own government. Anyway, continuing, the signatures gathered by the group, Rinaldi claimed, were invalid because many had been collected electronically. <laughs> okay, so it's impossible to collect signatures electronically now. The organization filed suit to challenge Rinaldi's authority to reject the proposal, but the Supreme Court declined to hear the case, leaving Texas Republicans without an avenue to demonstrate their support for or rejection of secession in March. Here's a, 
an example of what drives me nuts about uh, lazy reporting. It says, but the state, oh, I take that back. Sorry, uh, sorry, author here. I overread the word. So it's a state Supreme Court that declined to hear the case. Okay. Again, come on. Keep bringing it up every time. You know, at some point, this this worthless Republican Party is going to have to be taken over by patriots. And folks like this Rinaldi character are going to have to be thrown out. If it's brought up again and brought up again and brought up again, eventually there's not going to be anything they can do to stop stuff like this. So you can't stop. You can't quit now. No, I'll continue. In January, though, secession came back into the headlines, this time at the instigation of the governor. After United States Supreme Court issued a 5-4 ruling overturning a lower court injunction that prevented federal agents from removing razor wire the state had placed along the border, Governor Greg Abbott pushed back, rejecting the court's authority and declaring that, quote, the federal government has broken the compact between the United States and the states. That language is familiar to historians of the Civil War. It wasn't a Civil War. That is a misnomer. So the so-called Civil War. And to legal scholars. Oh boy, legal scholars. That all they've done is learn mainstream bullshit all the way back to when they went to law school to try to save the world. The, quote, compact theory of the U.S. Constitution was used to justify the Confederate secessions of 1861 and was rejected all the way back in Texas v. White. Once again, we talked about Texas v. White. Of course the Supreme Court in 1869 was going to rule that unilateral secession was was illegal or not, not a power granted the states in the Constitution. They had to do that. There's no other way, no other ruling they could have done. But what it boils down to is... The states created the federal government to act as an agent on their behalf for certain few and defined powers. If the states want to dissolve that or leave that pact, they can do it at any time. There is no nothing there's no so-called higher law that governs whether or not they can do it. The states are the creator. The creator is the ultimate authority. Continuing, Abbott, a former state Supreme Court justice and attorney general, is certainly aware of the history of the term and the century and a half of court rulings that reject the theory behind it. Oh, God, here we go. Court rulings that reject the, the theory behind it. The court is not the end-all, be-all of what's right, moral, legal, constitutional. It's just, it's simply not, and it never was intended to be that way. Moving on. His choice to invoke it raises a question that the party, just a month earlier, chose to keep off its primary ballot. How seriously should Texans be taking the idea of secession? Over the past decade and a half, roughly roughly since the inauguration of Barack Obama as president, when the Texas nationalist movement inspired Perry to nod at scenarios in which the state might leave the Union, the question has generally failed to elicit, elicit much more than sighs and eye rolls from legal scholars, political scientists, and historians. All right. If the idea supposedly elicits no more than sighs, eye rolls and from legal scholars and political scientists and historians, then it's probably a pretty damn good idea if all those people are against it. Just remember that. 
rule of thumb. Uh, LTS, leave the swamp, maxim. If legal scholars, political scientists, historians all agree that something's a bad idea, it's probably something you should look into because it's probably a decent idea. Continuing, it was easy enough to mock Perry to point out the small following of the independence quilt movement and to d dismiss the idea as a fantasy. Those responses may still be reasonable. It's never a bad time to dunk on Rick Perry. Oh, well, not that I was a Rick Perry fan, but of course you see this guy's political bent, and you'll see it through all writers within Texas Monthly. Continuing, but it's worth considering that Rover v. Wade, the U.S. Supreme Court ruling on abortion rights, was regarded for half a century as settled law until suddenly it wasn't. Well, that right there actually proves how the Supreme Court gets things wrong. Roe v. Wade was an incorrect decision in the first place. The federal government has no authority over the states on those matters. The Supreme Court should have never even heard that case. So overturning it was long past overdue. Whether you agree with the ability to have an abortion or not is beside the issue. It is a state's issue to contend with, not a federal government issue. Continuing, Texas v. White may have been decided a century before Roe, but if the Supreme Court is in a move to toss out long-established precedents, there's no limit on how far back it can reach. And yes, any so-called precedent should be thrown out if it's incorrect. He continues, I asked Jeremy Surrey, the Mac Brown Distinguished Chair for Leadership in Global Affairs at the University of Texas, and the author of Civil War by Other Means, America's Long and Unfinished Fight for Democracy, if the transgressive tendencies of today's Supreme Court means that we ought to take secession more seriously, and he was initially dismissive. No, he said flatly, it's inconceivable to me that John Roberts, Brett Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, or Amy Coney Barrett would side with any state seceding. It's hard to imagine Alito or Thomas doing that, but who knows what they're thinking. But you've got seven firm votes that a state cannot secede. Now that I agree with. He's probably right. Because it, you, you're not going to, if a state wants to secede, it's not going to rely on a positive U.S. Supreme Court decision to tell them whether they can do it or not. You know, that's what these people writing these articles and people that like like to poo-poo the idea, they always come down on this on this idea of, well... Only if the federal government allows it, or only if the U.S. Supreme Court says it's okay, they got to overturn other past uh, uh, decisions, this, that, and other. No. That's the whole point here. A peaceful secession is simply a group of people saying, we no longer want to be part of your thing, so we're going on our own. Now, where it could be stopped, or it could become unpeaceful, is if the battering spouse which would be the U.S. federal government, comes after the battered spouse that's trying to leave and attempts to force them to stay against their will, well, who's the one initiating aggression in that spot, in that point? I think it's clear, right? I just want to jump back to one thing. This guy, The title of this guy's book, Civil War by Other Means, America's Long and Unfinished Fight for Democracy. <sighs> If by America he's referring to the United States and the Constitution as put, as created by the, the states, the founders abhorred democracy. 
They never intended anything in the federal government or the state governments to be de- democracy. That's why it specifically says in the U.S. Constitution that it guarantees a Republican form of government. Democracy is a horrible form of government. It's mob rule. No one should strive for democracy. Constitutional government with limits placed on the power of government, so thus far in history, has been the greatest greatest, I don't know, purveyor, is that, if, that's, if that's the right word, or creator of an environment for the greatest amount of prosperity to ever exist. Democracy means nothing but mob rule. It has nothing to do with freedoms or anything else. You can have a democracy under total tyranny. So, gotta get past you, this, this, uh, this democracy word as, 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 as if it's some god, okay? You know, enough of that shit. Uh, but I agree. I don't think the Supreme Court would would uh, vote in a positive manner on the issue either. But it doesn't really matter. It's not up to them. Continuing. As our conversation continued, he started to talk about scenarios where, in, the lieu, in lieu of outright secession, lieu, <clears throat> we might see the question of disillusion emerge in another form. Quote, right now it's people trying to win points with far-right ideologues and sound tough and express their anger, Surrey said. Uh... No, Mr. Surrey, it's not far-right ideologues necessarily and sound tough. It's people, everybody who's just had enough of being pushed around and, t- and told what to do by the federal government and by the federal government doing horrible things to people outside this country on, in our name and on our behalf. Enough is enough. Putting us into bankrupting debt. Time to just time to move on. No time to no more support the the rest of the, all the, you know, whoever might the parasites, namely the federal government. Anyway, sorry, he said, but he could could imagine a situation in which Texans voted on secession not as a threat and not with the intention of starting a shooting war at the feds, <laughs> but in a, as a negotiating tactic, tactic to push for a system with a weaker federal government and more rights granted to the states. Okay, hold on a second. This guy is an idiot. I can tell you right now, if this is what he actually said. One, he obviously thinks that if Texas voted on secession and it passed and we left, that that would be with the intention of starting a shooting war with the feds. Oh, God. That's another one of those red herring, mindless tropes about all this stuff. And that's why this podcast implores you to join the cause for a peaceful and friendly separation because uh, there's no reason why any of this should go to a shooting war or to some you know some sort of uh, destruction of property situation at all you know there's we could talk through it negotiate and be done you know just like that there's no reason anything needs to go to that length and the, this guy's funny if he thinks, but a negotiating tactic to push for a system of, with a weaker federal government and more rights granted to the states. Guy, it's called the Constitution. That already existed and it stopped working a long time ago. No longer works now. That's why it'd be time to leave. Mainly because the idea would be it's too big to govern from Mordor, D.C. We've got to take matters into our own hands and stop being babies and relying on all these idiots in D.C. 
It's just the way it is. So obviously this guy, his, his mind is uh, up poo-poo creek. Continuing, the argument would go, quote, Look, there's a lot of Texans who love the United States, but are unhappy with the relationship between the state and the current federal government. And this is a movement to renegotiate that relationship, Surya explained. From there, rather than making a beeline directly towards an independent republic of Texas, you might end up with a convention of states that could win support from both left and right. One where, say, California has a right to ban semi-automatic weapons, and Texas has more control over its southern border. Okay, here we go again. Okay. One, California, I believe, does have the right to ban semi-automatic weapons. Because the the Constitution applies to the federal government. Okay? All powers not delegated to the federal government are retained by the states and the people within the states. So if you look at the amendments to the Constitution, specifically the Second Amendment, where it essentially prohibits the federal government from doing that, banning semi-automatic weapons, the Constitution, nowhere in the Constitution does it ban California from doing that. Now, I don't know California's Constitution. Maybe there's an amendment in there that says similar things to the Second Amendment of the Federal Constitution. I don't know. But California, if they wanted to go through whatever process they wanted to go to and ban certain weapons, they can certainly do it on their own. Period. That's the way the Constitution was written. And Texas, by God, does have more control over over its southern border. What Texas could do, since it owns a lot of the land along the Rio Grande, if it's state property, it can put up a wall all it wants. And if there's spots along the Rio Grande that are federal government, all right, well, let's come in. We'll put up a wall on the outside. We'll have the state come and buy up all the land there, and we'll build just a big dang wall there. So it it absolutely can control the southern border. So he continues, well, quote, you'd address the way that the states of federal government interact and how that reflects a series of decisions that are made over time. And that may not be may not best serve the needs of the states and the federal government today, that's how you could get to the question of whether everyone might be better off as part of a more federal system. Wait, how everyone might be better off? I, there's no question that everyone would be better off under a more federalist system. Centralization of power, central planning, one size, not one size fits all, is the root of all evil, especially in this country. All this crap coming down from D.C., that's what... Texas would be seceding to eliminate or to stop from happening again. Take back the power in our own hands in Texas. We'll decide these things amongst ourselves and the rest of the US, US can decide it on their own. I mean, it's it's hilarious. Better part of a more federal. The whole thing was created as a federalist system. This Dingledorf. God. Anyway, continuing. In that scenario, Texas may not land on full independence, a separate nation from the U.S., but a question of, like, who controls the border can end up with a different answer than the one the Supreme Court provided in January. Should there be a convention of the states, any part of the Constitution could be rewritten, granting new powers to states or dramatically changing existing powers or existing processes. Well, here's the funny thing about that. Granting uh, a convention to grant new powers to the states. Well, 
The states have all the power, except those that were granted to the federal government to act as its agent. Okay? So that's basically everything. There's very few powers in the federal government. So it's already there. So if it already exists and it's not being followed now, how's that going to solve anything? That's what I ask you. All right, continuing. Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution gives the states the ability to call such a convention, and it doesn't place many restrictions on the process. The entire article is a mere 143 words long. It requires two-thirds of state legislatures to call for such a convention, and then for amendments proposed at the convention to be approved by three-fourths of the states. There are no other rules outlined for the, for the process in the Constitution. To date, this power has never been invoked, which is a sad state of affairs. Continuing, while it's, impossible, while it's possible to imagine such a convention being called, 19 of the required 34 states have already voted for one, the sort of consensus building it would take to actually approve amendments by three, by three quarters majority is hard to imagine in today's deeply polarized America. Only 13 states could block movement on any given issue, meaning you'd need many of the bluest of blue states and the reddest of red to agree on issues before anything could be ratified. But such an approach would avoid reopening Texas v. White, making it a more uh, plausible path than most. Again, no need to reopen Texas v. White. No need to even pay attention to it. From a Texas perspective, it doesn't matter. If we want to go, we're going to go. Peacefully. And as Surrey noted, there are measures that could reassess certain relationships between states and federal government that stop short of rewriting the Constitution. Quote, it doesn't have to be a full-blown constitutional convention, he said. There could be efforts to bring leaders together, even informally, from various states and the federal government, to work out new ways of thinking about things. Congress could legislate change. Congress could legislate change. Who the hell is this guy? Is this the dumbest man that's ever existed? Congress could let... Of course Congress could legislate change. That's why we're in this problem in the first place. <laughs> This whole problem now in the first place is basically all Congress's fault. Congress has abrogated all its powers to the president. And the president, over time, has taken those powers and run with them as if he's a king. That's the problem. So we're going to appeal. This guy wants us to appeal to Congress to change things to make it better? What? I mean, oh, God. Uh, it, just, it just kills me, the idiocy and the stuff. Anyway, continuing. Francis H. Buckley, a professor at George Mason University's Antonin Scalia Law School, has spent a lot of time thinking about what a successful secession movement in the United States might look like. A Canadian who studied in Quebec, which has long had its own secession movement, Buckley is more bullish on the prospect than most. In his 2020 book, American Secession, he explored in detail the idea of a national divorce. While he shared Surrey's skepticism that a three-quarters majority of states would agree on a significant changes to the Constitution, he could imagine Texas benefiting from the process. Wow, this guy has an imagination enough to actually thinking Texas could benefit from the process. It's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a deep imagination there. <laughs> anyway, his quote, You can see how people on both sides of the political fence might agree to some changes. Like, if Texas were to secede, the Democratic Party might say to itself, You know, a national election short of the Texas electoral votes, 40 out of the 270 required to win the presidency, might not be such a bad thing, Buckley pointed out. In that scenario, maybe the rest of the Constitution remains as written, but the fabled escape clause that Texans have long believed existed would be added to the document. 
there is no escape clause directly. All the escape clause is, hey, we the people say no more. We are leaving the United States, going on our own way. We wish y'all well. We hope you wish us well. We love you. We're cousins, but we're a different country now. We'll still trade with you and all that. You can still come and go under certain circumstances. Majority, no problem. We're just going to take care of our own business. That's all it takes. All it takes. Continuing. Buckley sees secession less as a Texas issue and more as a national one. He believes that, given our divisions, whichever party wins the presidency in 2024, states firmly controlled by the losing party will make some movement toward secession, which would be an amazing thing. He says, quote, If Trump is elected, I expect to see some movement towards secession in the states in the Pacific Northwest and California. Good. Good riddance, he told me. Not the good riddance part. That was me. In 2017, shortly after Trump's inauguration, polling in California found that a third of the state supported the move, up from just 20% three years earlier. That's significantly higher than the percentage of Texans who supported secession at the start of the Obama administration. All right, you know, here's the other thing. This is me talking. Can you imagine how much different things would be if just California and New York left the United States and the rest of us stayed here? Or the Pacific Northwest left? You know, fine, leave New York. Best of both worlds, Pacific Northwest and New York leaves. Maybe Illinois. Oh my God. Even that, right there, what's left, would become easily the most prosperous country in the world in five years. You know, I've long argued that if Texas were to leave by itself, it would be the most prosperous country in the world within five years, assuming it didn't go full socialist and communist after it left. So, yeah, I'm all for that. I'm all for you Californians and Pacific Northwesterners to go on your own, make your own uh, country. Heck yeah. And let's compete. Let's see who's better. You go down your path of destruction towards socialism and maybe we'll slow it here and we'll see who, see if, see who goes down the tubes first. Because <laughs> we don't need each other, that's for sure. Anyway, continuing. Buckley's time following... Buckley's time following the Quebec secession movement informs his understanding of the U.S. movement. Quebec is still part of Canada, but its narrowly failed 1995 secession vote, which revealed the province to be nearly equally split, resulted in new negotiations with the Canadian government and ultimately the province winning new control of immigration, distinct from the rules in the rest of the country. You aren't talking war. We aren't living in a 19th century, Buckley said. We're talking about a very lengthy course of negotiation with all the states where the passions could go down considerably. So what you're really talking about is a kind of renewed federalism, which may not be such a bad thing. I agree. It wouldn't be such a bad thing. But you know what? That's what... How is that going to be any different than sending people to the Congress? U.S. Congress in Mordor, D.C. It's not. We're past that. I I believe we're past that point. It's now time to take matters into your own hands. And grow some, you know, put on the big boy pants and take care of ourselves. Continuing. Still, there's a reason the Texas nationalist movement doesn't call itself the Texas renewed federalism movement. Oh, thank you. I agree with that. What Buckley describes does seem like a peaceful way to reassess the relationship between the states. But part of the popular appeal of secession lies in its boldness. When Texas nationalist movement head Daniel Miller told crowds in 2015 that there is no solution for Texas other than independence, 
That statement necessarily precluded a slow renegotiation of federalism. And remember, I began reading Daniel Miller's book, uh, so stay tuned for the rest of that one. Continuing. Are the folks who uh, fantasize about an independent Texas willing to let that dream go in favor of something as tedious as ongoing negotiations amongst states over which of their powers should be enhanced relative to those of the federal government? So my answer is no. Enough is enough. No more time for negotiation. It's time to get out, walk away, cut the cord. Continuing and quoting, That's why secession essentially died in Quebec after 25 years of intense constitutional deliberation all over the country, Buckley acknowledged. People finally decided that they were just sick and tired of the whole damn thing. Even the government of Quebec, which was very nationalistic, has given up on it because it's too damn boring. If something is too boring for Canadians, it's hard to imagine fired-up Texans being satisfied by the process. Well, sorry, lily-livered Quebecans, Quebecians, or whatever they call themselves. You got too bored with it? Well, that was the whole point. Their politicians strung it out that far because they knew that would happen. Why'd you let that happen? It's not that big a deal. Get it done in a couple years. Done. Over. Move on. 25 years. Alright, continuing. This is one dilemma of secession. The parts that make it emotionally attractive are more or less unworkable in practice. How's that? And the strengthening of states' rights, while conceivable in practice, would require collaboration, compromise, and consensus for precisely the same folks that secession advocates want to get away from. Yes, that is right. That is right. The renegotiation is between the same folks would be done by the same folks that wouldn't want secession, so there is no point. And the emotional parts that make it attractive are not unworkable in practice. That's bullshit. Of course they're workable. If Saying they're unworkable is, this, is a sign of a lazy mind. You know. Continuing. The other dilemma involves the exorbitant costs that leaving the union would impose on Texas and its taxpayers a topic of, that secession proponents don't like to discuss. Dis- dismiss similar points by saying, you can, what if this thing is the death? Oh, Miller discussed, dismissed similar points by saying, you can, what if this thing's the death? Without noting that, should this, this mo- his movement achieve its aim, those questions would, in fact, what if his plan until his leaders had satisfactory answers or until it died? Exorbitant costs. Yes, there'll be costs on both sides. But the way that's written makes it sound like, oh, it's going to be all Texas bearing all the costs for this thing. Uh, uh, uh. That's not how that'll happen. It's called a negotiation, a divorce, equitable split, then we're gone. That's how it'll work. Continuing, after secession, Texas would need to either create expensive systems to replace Social Security and Medicare. Why? Those things are a reason for the downfall of this country. Continuing, or tell newly minted citizens of the Republic of Texas that those programs no longer exist. Look, because this country has done such a horrible job with poor people and retired people to where they are so reliant on this stuff, doesn't necessarily mean that they're either going to go away totally or you know one or the other. No, that's not... We're pretty damn creative, humans are, and luckily for Texas, Texas has the resources, human capital, natural resources, etc., 
that a small tiny portion of that could be used to pay out current uh, benefits for people who are alive. Doesn't mean we have to continue the program though, because if people are freed from that program and no longer have to get their money stolen to go into that program, which probably won't uh, exist or at least pay out uh, benefits, if you will, pay out welfare benefits basically uh, at the same purchasing power as they are now, when the people paying in need to retire, then maybe they can save more of their own money. You know, imagine that. You know, I'll just continuing. It would need to provide for national defense. Well, okay. Okay. How much money is stolen from the people of Texas in income tax and wasted by the U.S. federal government? Not a little portion of that could pay for, you know, a small defense force that we would need here. We don't need a giant standing army. Continuing. You'd have to pay the U.S. government for military bases, national parks, and federal prisons. Okay. And? It would have to assume its fair share of the $34 trillion national debt. Eh, maybe. You know, but... Yeah, not to give away the goat here, but okay. You know, let's say we assume our fair share of the debt, whatever that is. I don't know how you determine a, quote, fair share. But, you know, along, along those lines, what should happen is we either set aside a set amount to pay that thing off and no longer borrow any more money over time, or... We create our own gold-backed currency here and just default on it. You know, it was a waste of money in the first place. I continue. It would have to pay interest on that debt. Well, I just addressed that. It would, as Suri noted, lose the federal research and financial aid dollars that keep Texas universities ed educating students and the federal funding that keeps its hospitals functioning. <laughs> So this idiot thinks that the only reason why Texas universities are able to exist or hospitals are able to keep their lights on is because the federal government sends money here. How about all the money that we're gonna that's gonna stop being stolen from the people here? Man, imagine where that could go. I just don't know. Continuing, TechStop would have to maintain highways without federal aid. Oh, good God, the horror, the absolute horror. Like we would like. TechStop wouldn't have money from all the money that was saved, not sending it to Mordor, to have to maintain highways. Uh, this guy continues his quote, There's a big difference between 1861, when the federal government was small and you could live in Texas and have no connection to it, he pointed out. There was no social security, no f real federal military presence in Texas. The federal government was pretty much nowhere, so you could conceive of living without it. <sighs> yes, and let me make a point. How much different we are from the people in 1860? 1861, that, yes, the federal government was barely around, yet they still chose to leave because they saw it as tyrannical. Yet now we're okay with paying upwards of half of our income, not paying, having half of our income stolen by the federal government through taxes and being regulated to death by the federal government, but we're okay with that now? Because the federal government's everywhere in our lives now. But imagine, the, see how different we are from the people in 1860. I mean, it's just absolutely amazing. But I continue. Could the Republic of Texas make up the difference by establishing a national income tax? Why would you need to do that? There's no need to do a national in income, stack, in in uh, income tax. Ever. We have a state sales tax here. 
But imagine if everyone was able to keep the money, keep upwards of half their income from being stolen by the federal government. What could they do by reinvesting that money within the state or saving it or paying off debt? Imagine the prosperity that would happen in the state if that were to happen. No need for a national income tax. National, an income tax is, by definition, tyrannical. And the idea is we're trying to leave tyranny. So why would we institute that? No need. And then he says, hardly. The state currently receives more from the federal government than it pays in taxes. That's utter bullshit. That right there is utter bullshit. The amount paid through uh, payroll and income taxes, the amount of taxes paid through oil and gas and, and natural resource taxes, the amount of wasted prosperity through all through the, the what the federal government has here in the state. I mean, get rid of all this stuff, and we the state would be opened up to an amazing prosperity. So no. Texas is suffocated by the federal government. It doesn't rely on the federal government. And he's, he starts off some this, uh, in 2021, last year, which data was available, Texas sent the federal government an average of 10443 per Texan in taxes while receiving 11981 per Texan for a net annual inflow to Texas of approximately $45 billion. All right. One, I dispute that number. But two, even if it's true, this guy does not have just a smidgen of imagination enough to, to, to envision that if all if if just the federal tax code was removed from people here, how much more prosperity that would uh, create here, that it wouldn't overcome, assuming $45 billion was correct, that amount. Give me an effing break. Anyway, continuing. Ultimately, no one knows how popular the idea of an independent Texas truly is. Though if limiting, limited polling data, data is any indication, it may be gaining traction. The question has been polled, polled four times since 2009. In three of those polls, taken between 2009 and 2016, it received between 15 and 26% support, meaning it would, at best, be rejected by nearly 3 to 1 margin. A 2022 poll by a different pollster, meanwhile, found out that Texas favored secession by a 60-40 split, which, if true, would indicate a 53-point swing from 2016. Ain't that beautiful. And you know what? People go along with the herd. They do what they're told. They're easily swayed. So the real poll, the real thing that really makes any difference here is what percent of actual people that influence other people are going along with the idea of secession. And I tend to argue if just upwards about 4% of those people, 4% of let's say you know the 80 20 more right 20 percent, 80 percent of the work gets done by 20 percent of the people well 96 percent of the work gets done by four percent of the people so if just four percent of so-called influential people were to get behind the idea that would be enough to sway all the rest of the chimpanzees to go along you know for their own benefit i might add so not that much is needed in order for this to happen, you know, meaning in order for this to become a mainstream idea and to become uh, begged for by the people, you know, just interesting to think about. Uh, continuing, Sanford Levinson, a professor of government at the University of Texas School of Law, 
said he would like to he would have liked to see the concept's popularity put to a vote. Well, good for him. Good. He recalled the surprise in, a, in national headlines in 2017 when high schoolers at Texas Boys State passed a secession bill in their mock legislature. Nobody knew what to do with that. Quote, or, quote, nobody knew what to do with that. Was it simply boys will be boys or was it a portrait of the future? So I'm sorry that it won't be on the ballot as an academic. I'd be very interested in simply knowing what the numbers would be. Yeah, it would be interesting. And Levison understands the renewed consideration given the divided state of the nation, where a lost election triggers accusations of fraud and even an insurrection. <sighs> there was no insurrection. That is... There was no insurrection. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Quote, I don't think you have to be crazy to say the U.S. is just too large to be governed effectively. Well, jeez, my God. I agree with you on that one, he said. The point of a constitution isn't to guarantee that everyone gets what they want, after all. It's to ensure that people who disagree, even vehemently, can tolerate sharing power with one another. Well, the point of the constitution is to limit the powers of the government. I mean, a result of that is to create an environment where people who disagree, even vehemently, can tolerate each other because the government doesn't can't doesn't have the power to do much in the first place. So uh, he was almost there, but his feeble mind didn't let him to quite get there. Continuing in his quote, if that changed, then maybe the question of secession is less quote should Texas be its own country again, and more can the U.S. survive as it is. Now he's right on that one. No, the U.S. will not survive survive as it is if it's not Texas leaving. Someone's going to leave. Uh, I just assume it would be Texas, be the first one out the door, so we're not stuck going down with the ship, as I've mentioned many times before in the past. So, wow, that was a banger of, a, of an article. Uh, you know, some things were agreeable in there, some things from these, uh, you know, political scholars and whatever, legal scholars, political scientists, whatever, quoted in here. Oh, God, of course... They don't know what they're talking about. But it all boils down to this. It's not a question of whether Texas can secede or not. Of course it can. It doesn't matter what the U.S. Supreme Court says. It will always rule with in its own favor, in its own interests. They're not the final arbiter of what can be done or not. It's if the people here are tired and want to move on with their life, you know, take back control over their lives. The way to do that is to peacefully and friend, have a friendly and peaceful se uh, separation from our abusive spouse in Mordor, D.C. So anyway, thank you for listening, and I'll catch you on the next one.